Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. baptism in the Holy Ghost and how you can experience it today. I want to start off by reading in John chapter 14, John the 14th chapter. Now you will, you'll make heaven without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can, theologically, you can make heaven without the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is not a prerequisite for making heaven. The Bible says that only the blood of Jesus can give us access into heaven, salvation by grace alone. The moment you received Christ uh, and were quickened, were born again, you now have access into the kingdom of God. But I don't want to just make heaven and do nothing on this earth. I want to make sure that I have impact while I live on the earth. There's one life to live, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When I stand before Jesus at the judgment seat, I don't want to present him with nothing. Remember, a hundred years from now, nothing's going to matter except for souls. And the way we're going to reach souls, the way we're going to be effective in bringing in the harvest in our generation is by the mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, before I, re- I read John 14, I want to read Luke 24. This is Jesus' final oration to his disciples before he goes to heaven. This is what he said. So the last words of someone are very important. When someone's dying on their deathbed and they give out their last words, you should take heed. That's the most important thing that he has to say before he goes to eternity. So these last words of Jesus... Before he goes up, and and, and there's a time span now between that moment his feet left the Mount of Olives and the moment where his feet will touch the Mount of Olives again, there is a time span, and it's been 2,000 years, but before he left, he left his disciples with with one final exhortation. This is what he said. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, and beginning with... Verse verse 46, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's the great commission. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to every nation. Matthew says it differently. He says, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Luke says it differently. He says, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So there's the commission. There's the mandate. That's what we talked about on Tuesday. The, the soul winning mandate. That The great commission is not a suggestion. It's not something to do if we have extra time to spare. It's not something given or delegated to a few religious zealots. It is the great commandment to everybody who calls themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is what he goes on to say after that. So he says, this is the mission, but hold on. Hold on. 49, 2449, Luke 2449. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem 
until you are clothed or endued with power from on high. So we have this great mission, this supernatural assignment, this heavenly task to perform. But Jesus said, you're not to do it in your own strength. You're not to do it in your own power. You're not to do it by your own natural talents and ability. Remember what Paul told the Corinthian church. He said, remember when you were called. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were strong. Not many of you carried influence. Not many of you had much to offer your people and your generation. But God chose you when you were foolish. He supernaturally quickened you by the Holy Ghost to become wise to shame those things which are wise. He called you when you were weak, made you strong to shame the things which are strong. He called you when you had no influence, empowered you by his spirit to now have influence and to make noise in your generation to shame the things that are affluent and influential in your generation so that no flesh could boast before his presence. When you were called, think about it. When I was called, I had OCD, I had obsessive compulsive disorder. I had agoraphobia. I couldn't be in a room with a lot of people. I was depressed. I couldn't preach to people publicly because I couldn't even do it privately. So how can you do it publicly? I was a royal mess. I had nothing to offer people. If they had taken hands, if they had taken a show of hands as to who in my family would do something great for God, I guarantee you I would not be in the top 10, top 50, top 100 because I was a royal mess. I was totally depraved. I had nothing to offer anybody. I was like David, tending the few sheep. You know, when Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons, they didn't even bring David out. He was so irrelevant. He was so, so non-influential within his own circle that they didn't even think of bringing him before before Samuel because they said, if there's anybody that's going to be anointed as king in this day and this age, it ain't going to be David. But look at this. The prophet Samuel hears the word from the Lord. He says, don't look on the outward appearance. Don't look at what you're seeing. Don't look at Aliab's strength. Don't look at all the other brothers, how they have the brains and the brawn, how they're six foot two and they carry a presence. Don't look at their outward presence because the Lord looketh not at the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. And there's people watching me right now. You have a heart for evangelism. You have a heart to win many to the Lord. You have a heart to make impact in your generation, but you feel powerless. You feel like that clothing that I just read about in Luke 24 hasn't been put on you, that you haven't been endued with that power. Here and today, you shall receive power from the Holy Ghost as you listen to this broadcast. Even while I'm yet in speech, Acts 10, Peter, while he was yet in speech, the Bible says the Holy Ghost fell on him. The Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word. You don't even have to wait for us to say amen in the final prayer of this broadcast. While I'm speaking, I believe that there's going to be a release of the supernatural spirit of God on those listening. And as I'm speaking, you're going to be quickened. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. You're going to speak with other tongues. You're going to receive power from heaven. As you're hungry and thirsty after this mighty baptism, God 
God is faithful to fill you today. You know, the Holy Spirit did not come in Acts chapter 2 and then leave in Acts chapter 28. There's a lot of people that teach that the Holy Spirit left in Acts chapter 28. That when Paul finished his missions, that's when the Holy Spirit said, my work is done. I don't have to do it anymore. Now let's just wait for the Bible to be canonized and the scripture to be completed and that'll be all. That, that's when, uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's work will no longer be necessary. What a lie from the pit of hell. What a lie from the pit of hell. I want to remind you of something. Jesus was the word made flesh. And even he said that the works that you see me do, the great success you've seen me have in evangelism, the amount of souls and multitudes that are coming into the kingdom of God, the amount of healings and miracles, signs and wonders that you're seeing, he said, that is not me. That is the Father's spirit at work in me doing the work. It is the Father, he said, at work in me. He said, I have a greater witness than John's because John didn't have miracle signs and wonders. He said, I have a greater witness than John's because the works that the Father has given me to finish, these testify that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So even Jesus relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, before Jesus was baptized and came up out of the water and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, he didn't do any miracles. There's no record of any miracles being done in Jesus' ministry or life before he got baptized in the Holy Spirit in Matthew 4, Luke 4. And so, and also in Mark 1. And so you see a pattern there that Jesus is showing us. Because, you know, Jesus was, after he started operating signs and wonders and fame began to spread of his name, his own family members, his own countrymen, people that grew up with him, they began to gather around Jesus and said, hey, aren't you Mary's son? Aren't these your sisters and your brothers here with us? Man, who are you? Why why all of a sudden? Because before he got baptized in the spirit, he, he wasn't relevant to anybody. No, he didn't have a draw. There wasn't a magnetic pull. Another example of this is in Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, the Bible says, after he gets baptized in the Spirit, goes on a fast for 40 days and nights, he returns in the power of the Spirit. He goes into the synagogue that he grew up in, and as was his custom, he received from the prophet Isaiah. He received the scroll, and he began to read from the scroll. He had done this. Take this into account. He had done this for his entire life since teenagehood. He had read from the scrolls. He probably read that very scripture before. But all of a sudden, he reads from Isaiah 61 in this particular instance after being baptized in the Spirit, and the scripture says that everyone's eyes were glued on him, and they marked marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. You see, when he spoke before, there there wasn't much power in his words. The moment he got baptized in the Holy Ghost and began to read the scriptures, power began to come on his speaking. Yeah, Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus did no mighty works before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not even have uh, influential preaching and reading of the scriptures before he was baptized in the Holy Ghost. It was at 
that moment that there was a pull, that he demanded people's attention. You want to know why some people go out to evangelize and nobody gets, you don't get anybody's attention? There's no arrestation of people's attention. You know, when Jesus spoke, people were arrested, people inclined. The Bible says multitudes came from the surrounding regions to where he was at to both hear him and be healed by him of their infirmities. They were glued to it. The Bible says in another scripture, they were astonished at his speaking for he spoke as one carrying real authority quite unlike the religious scribes. Quite unlike the religious scribes. And so what was the difference between what, how Jesus operated and how we operate and how some people operate? There should be no difference. There should be no difference. We should have the same results. John 14, what I was going to read before in verse 12. The works that you see me do, Jesus said, you shall do and greater works shall you do because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus said, you can do the works that you've seen me do and greater works. Well, part of the works Jesus did was arresting the people's attention. The Bible even says that there were Pharisees that sent officers of the law to go and arrest Jesus. When they came, they decided to just sit back and like hear a few words. They came back to the the Pharisees empty handed. They didn't arrest Jesus. When the Pharisees saw them, they said, where is he? Why didn't you arrest him? Didn't we send you out on an assignment? They said, hey, we went to arrest him. But we got awestruck because we've never heard anybody speak like this man. We've never heard anybody talk like this guy talks. We were dumbfounded by the weight of the anointing that was on his words as he spoke. Jesus said, the works you saw me do, including the weight of the anointing on his words, ye shall do. I tell you in the name of Jesus, gone are the days of dull evangelism for you. Gone are the days of boring lullaby evangelism for you. Gone are the days of no results evangelism. Fruitless soul winning. From today, there'll be a notable difference in the words that you speak. There will be a weight on what you say as you open up your mouth from today to preach the unadulterated message of the cross. God will back it up with power and with glory. And the Bible says, just like in Acts 2, when Peter was preaching, the scripture says they were all pricked to the heart. That means it got to their very core. There's a lot of preaching that it just appeals to the mind of man. It doesn't get to the core. Preach Preaching cannot appeal to the mind. It has to get to the core. It has to get to the heart. A sermon birthed from the mind will reach the mind, but we're not born again in our minds. We're born again in our spirits. A sermon that is backed by the spirit will will appeal to the human spirit, and that's where you start to see people come in groves, multitudes, thronging. The Bible says when Peter spoke in Acts 2, after he received a tongue of fire, you see, you can't do it in your natural tongue. You have to have tongues of fire delivered unto you. There has to be a supernatural element to your speaking. We're not TED Talk preachers. We're not fireside preachers. 
We're not three points in a poem preachers. We are Holy Ghost preachers. We are on a commission. We are on assignment. And God's assignment carries God's power for those that will obey. When you obey heavenly assignment, you are entitled to heavenly power to get it done in a grand style. When the people heard Peter's preaching, the Bible says they were pricked to the heart. And they said, what can we do to be saved? You want to know what's the problem with modern preaching today? There's no challenging aspect to it. There's no bringing people to a decision. We're just trying to tickle their ears. We're just trying to appease their fleshly lust. We're just trying to, uh, we're, we're watering down the gospel to be some sort of, of, of mental health clinic, to be some sort of, you know, 16 ways to balance work and time, to balance family and work. That's not the gospel. And that's why God's not confirming it with power. Because God has no obligation to confirm your word. He only confirms his word. He only confirms his word. Mark chapter 16. This scripture is popping up in my spirit. I told you I was fired off today. We're getting ready for a crusade this Saturday. This Saturday in Montreal, Canada, a historic gospel crusade. A historic event for Canada. I don't know of many events going on in my nation, such as what we're about to do September 24th, this coming Saturday at 1 p.m. I don't know. I don't, and now maybe there are, I just don't know of them. We are doing a Billy Graham styled event. I'm, we are doing a Billy Graham style outreach. We're not playing games. We're not going out to, to have dramas. We're not going out to have a movie in the park. We are going to, we're going to draw in the people. We have food to give. We're going to draw people in. Uh, in, you know, we, we've done everything in the natural to get people to come in. We're firing today. We've been firing all week. We're drawing in a crowd in such a way, and we're relying on the Holy Spirit to actually bring them in. And then when I get up on that stage, it's going to be a raw gospel delivered. I'm going to preach on Christ the healer. I'm going to preach on Christ the burden bearer. And I'm going to show this generation that our God is not a figment of our imagination, that there is a real God in heaven that truly cares and loves them, and that they're only one prayer away from the power of God sweeping their way and pulling them out of that miry clay, pulling them out of the pit of sin, pulling them out of that disaster called sin and putting them on a rock to stay. Putting them on a rock to stay. Now's the time. We're in the day of revival. I can't stand when they say, oh, I just can't wait for revival to come. I just can't wait for awakening to come. You know, we put up pictures of crusades and crowds gathering, and people say, oh, I can't wait for that to happen. What do you mean you can't wait for that to happen? This, this is happening right now. This is happening right now. Get your eyes off what the devil is doing. Get your eyes off what hell is trying to work up in these last moments of time. And start to fix and fix your gaze and your focus and attention on heaven's work. Understand the season that you're living in. Have understanding of the times that you're living in. We're not times of, of, of winding down for the church. We're not in times of, of irrelevancy for the church. We're not entering into the times of the church Leaving the fire and entering into smoke. No, we are in the times of the greatest, most unprecedented and unparalleled revival that the earth has ever seen. What a time to be alive. Listen to this, Mark chapter 16, verse 19. And after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and they sat, he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. Listen to this. The Lord working with them 
confirming the word through accompanying signs. The Lord worked with them, confirming the word. The Lord worked with them, confirming the word. God has no obligation to confirm your word. He confirms his word. The closer you get to the gospel of the Bible, the closer you'll get to the power of the Bible. The closer you are, the more accurate you are in delivering the basics of the gospel. You don't have to get in to this complex message. Billy Graham used to say, the more complex you make the message of the cross, the, the, the less results you'll have. But the more simple you make the message of the cross, the more amazing, the more great, the more fruitful the results that you'll experience in your preaching. And so, we're, we're, we're getting back to the Bible basics. And we're expecting God on Saturday to have... Uh, to confirm his word openly with accompanying signs. I'm believing God for on that field, cancers to, to die out, to dissolve in people's bodies. I'm believing God from that field as, I, as I'm speaking, while I'm in speech, that terminal illnesses will lift off people's bodies. That while I'm speaking, that depression and anxiety will lift off people's bodies. That while I'm speaking... Families will be restored. Marriages, marriages will be reconciled. Prodigals will come home. That growths on people's bodies, necks, breasts, legs, whatever, will dissolve and wither up. Supernatural, notable things be done. And all of that, the reason I can believe that is because of the mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit. The reason I can believe that and, and expect God to perform those things as I minister to the people, is because of this power called the baptism in the Holy Spirit at work in me. Listen to this. John 16. John 16. And verse, let's start with verse, verse 6. Because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper cannot come to you. But if I depart, I will send the helper to you, who's the Holy Spirit. So the disciples started to hear about Jesus talking about him going away, departing back to the Father in his original glory. And they started to get worried. What do you mean you're leaving? All these miracles, all this power that we see, all these healings, all these people that are, that are, are pressing into you, all of that is because of you. If you go... We've got nothing to offer the people. You know what Jesus said? He corrected them on that. He said, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, if I stay with you, it'll just be one Jesus walking around and seeing these things happen. It'll just be one Jesus setting captives free, letting the oppressed go free. It'll just be one Jesus causing Blind people that have their sight again. It'll just be one Jesus doing all these things. And my effect will be limited because Jesus was limited by his physical body in those days. But he said, if I go away, it's actually to your advantage. It's to your advantage. Because the same Holy Spirit that's in me, the same power of the Spirit that's enabling me to cast out demons, deliver those that are tormented, 
That same spirit, not the Holy Spirit's twin brother, the same Holy Spirit. There's only one spirit. I'm going to send him to you, and he's going to help you, empower you, enable you to get the same works done so that instead of one Jesus going around, I'll be able to fill you all with my same power, and I'll be able to magnify not magnify, multiply, multiply my results, amplify my ministry through my, through my body, which is us, you and I, on the earth. That's why the devil's an idiot. The devil thought if he can nail Jesus to that cross, that, you know, that, that solves my problem. I've killed God. I don't have to worry about him another day now. Not realizing that the moment that Jesus was nailed to that cross, which by the way, the devil didn't kill Jesus. Romans didn't kill Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. Jesus laid down his life of his own accord. He laid his life down willingly of his own volition and will. Nobody killed Jesus. He said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No greater love than this than for he that lays down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life because he said this command I have received from my father that I might lay down my life and take it up again. So when Jesus laid his life down, the devil rejoiced. All of hell celebrated. He thought that was it. We're done. Don't have to worry about him another day. Not realizing that three days later, Jesus' life would spring back, Jesus' body would spring back to life again, and that he would ascend on high and fulfill what he had said in John 16. Understand, the resurrection of Jesus was no surprise to Jesus himself. He kept talking about that the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of the chief priests and the authorities of this day, and they will crucify him, but don't be discouraged on the third day he'll rise again and he said when I rise again I'm going to ascend on high before the father present my body and my blood present my blood as a sacrifice for the sins of this world so that now us you and I you that are watching right now we can now enter into good standing into right position with God so that then Jesus can pray the father to send the helper the Holy Spirit so that instead of there being one Jesus on the earth there's an army there's an army of believers that are filled with that same substance Jesus carried to go about and Jesus said, in my name, cast out demons. In my name, lay hands on the sick. What was in Jesus? If you can catch this one revelation today. What was in Jesus is in you. He's in you. The Holy Ghost. And as you experience the mighty baptism, what's the difference between having the Holy Spirit at salvation and being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Very, very clear. Here's a very clear explanation. When you, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit took you and baptized you into the body of Christ. It was the Spirit's work. The Bible says that no man can come to Jesus unless the Spirit draws him. So that's the Spirit's work. It's the, he baptizes you into the body of Christ so that now you are part of the body of Christ and a member in particular. How be it, there's a subsequent event. There's a subsequent experience separate from salvation, also the work of the Spirit, whereby, remember, Jesus or John the Baptist said, I baptize with water. 
But not many days hence, you shall res- the, um, there shall be one who shall come, who I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals up, and he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. John was a baptizer in water, but Jesus is also Jesus the Baptist, but he's Jesus the baptizer in the Holy Ghost and fire. What happens when you're baptized in water? You have someone, a pastor or someone, that will actually dip you into water, fully immerse you into water. Fully immerse you into water so that you come out wet. Well, when Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Ghost and fire, he takes you and fully, he drowns you. He fully immerses you in the the Holy Spirit so that when you come up out of it, you smell like the Holy Ghost. You, You have fire on you. You smell like fire. People can tell there's a notable difference on you. You know, the word baptism comes from an old Greek term, baptizo, where they would take the garments, if they wanted to dye a shirt blue, they would take blue dye and they would take a garment that was a neutral color, dip it in the blue dye, and the blue dye would get into the garment. They'd leave it there for several hours until the shirt looked blue and the nature of the dye got into the shirt so that they became one. Well, that's exactly what Jesus does when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. He takes us, our human our human nature and all that we are dips us, immerses us into the Holy Spirit until his nature is on us, until his smell is on us, until we start to look like him, until we start to smell like him, until we start to speak like him, until we start to do what only he can do. That's what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, you'll be clothed with power from on high. Acts chapter 8. The Bible says you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come on you so that you can be my witnesses in all the earth. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not so that you can gyrate at an altar. It's not so that you can shake and quake. It's not. Those are all great things. And those are manifestations of people being baptized in the Spirit. How be it. The the number one, the primary purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is so that you can become an effective witness. There's too many witnesses in the body of Christ, but they're not effective. God wants to make you effective. God wants to empower you today so that just like Paul, when he preached, the Bible says that many gave heed to Paul. The Bible says that they gave Paul their attention. He commanded attention. Philip Baptized in the Holy Spirit, goes in Acts chapter 8 to Samaria. And many gave heed to the things that Philip spoke, seeing and hearing the miracles that he did perform. You know, the very gifts of the Holy Ghost. The entry fee is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can't operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit without first being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, some might say, well, I've seen people heal the sick and they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you can heal the sick just by teaching them faith on divine healing. But to operate in the actual gifts of healing and the working of miracles takes the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's a difference with seeing people that are sick healed when you preach divine healing and the manifestation of the gift of the spirit called the gifts of healing. When the gifts of healing are in operation, it's, it's supernatural. It's like everybody in the meeting is getting healed. I've had this happen when I was in Saskatchewan. I was, I was preaching on healing and the gifts of healing 
began to manifest the power of the Lord. Jesus taught, the Bible says, and the presence of the Lord was there, or the power of the Lord was there to heal them. That's the gifts of healing. Jesus operated in seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit. He never spoke in tongues, and he never had interpretation of tongues. Those are New Testament benefits only. But Jesus operated in the seven of the nine gifts of, heal, uh, uh, gifts of the Spirit. When Jesus, when the Bible says, and everyone present got healed, that was the manifestation of the gifts of healing in the ministry of Jesus. And so if you want to have that happen in your meetings, just like it happened to me in Saskatchewan when I was preaching on divine healing, and the gifts of healing began to uh, manifest in such a strong way that everybody in the building got healed. I mean, stage four brain cancer to heart problems to just mild ailments. Everybody left that place healed, testifying of the glory of God touching their body. That can happen with you. You can, you know, Peter had such, such an encounter with this mighty baptism in Acts chapter 2 and also in Acts chapter 4, that in Acts chapter 5, he's just walking on the street of Jerusalem and people sense there's something different about him to the point where they carried their sick on beds and couches, laid them at his feet, that perhaps just the shadow of Peter passing by might heal them. I don't know about you, but I want to go back to miracles of biblical proportion. I want to see the point. I want to see it to the point where just my shadow, that handkerchiefs and aprons brought from my body are healing the sick. That's that's where you get to a point where you have you've been you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, totally immersed in Him on a continual basis. Because remember, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. It should be a continual thing. It should be a recurring thing. It shouldn't be a one-time thing. I remember when I was baptized in 1976. Great. What have you done since? Acts two, they get baptized, but then Acts four, they're already asking for a fresh infilling. I prophesy in Jesus' name. Some of you that have grown weary and fatigued and the fire has gone out, God is dipping you in the kerosene of his spirit today and he's lighting you ablaze. God is going to light you ablaze today. God is going to fill you once again with his fire. Your old, that, that um, lukewarmness that you've experienced, that lack of fervency to win souls is being burnt out by fire today. God is going to fill you with a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit right now, here and now, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You're not going to dwindle out as, you're, as the days go on. You're not going to lose that fire. So the gifts of the Spirit are a manifestation of being baptized in the Holy Ghost. So you want miracles. You want power at work in your life and ministry? You need this baptism. It's not an option. It's not an option. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2 comes around and the promise of Jesus comes to pass. They were all together in one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then the church began to spread violently. Then the church began 
to to increase and multiply. That day, 3,000 added to the church. The next week, uh, uh, they're up to 5,000. A couple of chapters later, the Bible says they filled the whole of Jerusalem with their doctrine. Another chapter later, the Bible says these men have turned the whole world upside down and they've come here too. They've come here too. It's the baptism in the Holy Spirit that makes the church effective in its mandate. Or else we resort to just being a country club for believers. Or else we just hold programs, knitting clubs, movie nights, and all this stuff that doesn't produce lasting fruit. You draw people in in the flesh, you'll have to keep them in the flesh. And they'll die in the flesh. You draw people in by the Spirit, the Holy Ghost will take care of them. And it'll be fruit that remains, lasting fruit. And so I want to I wanna pray today. I didn't go long and I don't want to go long. I want to pray while the anointing's here and is strong for you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit right here and right now because time is short. Jesus is coming back. Listen to this, Amos chapter 9. The book of Amos, the prophet, chapter 9. And beginning with verse... Let's start with verse 13. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that sows seed. And the mountains shall drip with sweet, sweet wine and all the hills shall flow into it. The days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper. What are we called to do? Reap souls. What is Amos talking about? He's talking about in the last days, there's going to be an accelerated harvest. That before the reaper, the one who went out to win souls, even brings in the harvest, there's already another going out to sow the seed. Before we have time to take in the great harvests on planet earth that remain unharvested to this day, before we even have time to take it all in, there's already another group going out to win the loss. Saying there's going to be an acceleration of lost souls coming to salvation. Think of it, if, we, if Jesus is coming back in 10 years, we don't have 50 years to bring in the, un, the un, uh, unharvested souls of this earth. If Jesus is coming back in three years. We don't have 10 years to do it. It has to be a quick work. It has to be an accelerated thing. And that's why you were born for such a time as this. And that's why you've drawn into this broadcast. It's the grace of God that pulled you in so that you can put your hand to that plow of evangelism and use your life, spend your life. Like Paul said, I have poured out my life as a drink offering, a sacrifice to, to the Lord to do his work on the earth before it's eternally too late. So to have that accelerated harvest, we're going to need more power than ever before. That's why Zechariah says, ask ye for the rain in the time of the latter rain. And I'll make bright clouds appear. And I'll pour out the latter rain that is greater than the former rain. It'll be the, the cum, culmination of the former rain and the latter rain. And I'll pour it out in one month. It'll be a quick thing. What was the former rain? Acts chapter 2. You read the book of Acts. If that's what the former rain did, then how much more? How much more should we expect God to perform through us in these last days by that latter rain anointing, which is the former rain and the latter rain combined together? In the name of Jesus, I'm going to pray for you right now. The only request, requirement of heaven right now for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit is one, you need to be born again. If you're saved, 
You're in, you, 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 have, uh, you have the entry fee paid to come into this power that we're going to pray for you to receive right now. If you're born again, the Bible says that Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. Number two, you need to get hungry. John 7, 37. Come to me all that are weary. Come to me all that are thirsty. And I will what? I will cause rivers of water to come spring up from within your belly. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus spoke of the Holy Ghost in that moment. Bible says, this spake he of the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Ghost had not yet been given, for Jesus had not yet been glorified. But now he's been glorified. We don't have to wait. Jesus said in Luke 7, he said, which of you being evil parents know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will the, Holy, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Under your Christmas tree on Christmas morning, if a box has your name on it, do you have to beg for it? No, you just take it, you receive it. Well, there's a flame with your name on it. The Holy Ghost. Jesus is the greatest gift God ever gave to the world. But the Holy Ghost is the greatest gift God ever gave to the church. And there's a flame with your name on it. You don't have to beg for him. You just got to be desperate and be hungry and be thirsty and recognize I can do nothing on my own initiative. I can't be used within my own power. I can't accomplish anything in my own power. Only they that know their God and are filled with power shall do exploits on this earth. God, I'm hungry. I want you to lift your hands wherever you're at and say, Lord, I'm hungry. Lord, I'm thirsty and you said if I'm thirsty that you'll cause rivers of living water to spring from within me and render me effective for your kingdom let me pray right now father I pray all across this earth right now for the 150 plus that are watching live and those that will watch on the replay release a flood of the Holy Ghost release the mighty baptism I'll loose I turn loose the mighty baptism in the spirit across the hungry souls that are watching this right now. Lord, your word says they shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come. Holy Spirit, come upon them now. From the top of their head to the soles of their feet, fill them with fresh fire. Fill them with fresh power. Lord, quicken their mortal bodies by your eternal spirit. We can't do it in our own power. The harvest and the work is too great to get done in our own ability. We trust in you. We rely on you. Fill us with your power. You said, be not drunk with wine in which is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Ghost. We receive it today. Those that have been filled once upon a time, I lose a refreshing. Be baptized again in the Holy Spirit. Be quickened in your mortal body to do all that God's called you to do in these last days. In the name of Jesus. If you know how to pray in the Spirit, pray in the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, we're going to have an online revival meeting right now. We mean business with God today. The Bible says, He will baptize you in fire. If you lost your fire, if you've lost your first love, if you've lost that zeal and that fervency for evangelism, receive fire now. Return to your first love now. I prophesy those that are preachers of the gospel watching me right now. Those that feel a call to full-time ministry. Those that believe 
that they're called to uh, uh, evangelism, full-time evangelism, or to be pastors or whatever. That same weight that was on Jesus' words is coming on your words today. No more will you have a boring gospel that you preach. No more will there be nothing or, or, or no substance or no weight of power that backs your words. No longer will your words be ordinary. You will not be an ordinary minister of the gospel. You shall be extraordinary, not by might or by strength, but by his spirit. For he has enabled you, the Bible says, to be an adequate, a sufficient minister of the new covenant. In Jesus' name. Well, Teddy, I want to speak in tongues so bad. Receive it now. Be filled with the Holy Ghost right now. Right now. I loose the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Kurustondia brevende. Rengasa kalabohoro. Shindoroso kuravia namaraha. Ruposondo kundarababa. If you feel the fire of God right now on, your, on you, I want you to write one in the chat. I want you to type one in the chat. Put hand emojis. Kirozondo robobo. The anointing's strong right now. People are being mobilized for the harvest fields. The weaknesses of the flesh are being burnt out by the fire of God. And God's ability is being imparted into you. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are. It's just God's abilities being imparted into you. And when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, His, His abilities are unlocked. And you start to operate in these supernatural manifestations. You have word of knowledge. You begin to have words of wisdom. You begin to have prophecy flowing through you. You begin to have uh, gifts of healing and working of miracles. You start to, to operate in the gift of faith where men are saying there's a casting down. That gift of faith rises up in you. That's one of the beautiful things of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Is it, it, it imparts into you that gift of faith. Where when your natural faith runs out, like Smith Wigglesworth used to say, he says, I believe God as much as I can. And when I come to the end of my own faith, there's a supernatural faith. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit that enables you, empowers you to operate in that supernatural faith. That when your own faith, when you, don't, when you feel like I can't believe God anymore, there's a quickening in your spirit by the Spirit of God to believe Him for the impossible. Rustondo korabahaba. If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to challenge you to make that decision today. I want you to turn to Jesus today. If you're not right with God, if you're not right with God, now's not a time to gamble in that area. Jesus can come back at any single moment. And there's a holy calling on your life, but you have to respond to, to the first calling before you could enter into the other calling. And that is the call to be saved. The Bible says, call unto him. And he doesn't show partiality. He doesn't have distinction on Jew or Greek. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. He doesn't care if you're male or female. The Bible says the Lord is rich on all who call upon him in faith. You're one prayer away from salvation. The Bible says he doesn't show distinction. The Bible says he doesn't show favoritism. Doesn't matter what your societal status is. The scripture says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's simple. Call on him today. Call on him right now. Let me pray with you. Say this with me. Say this from the depths of your heart. Say this. Say this. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord. Come live in my heart. Fill me with your spirit. 
Forgive me of all my sin. Turn my life around. From today, I will serve you. I choose life. I choose blessing. I choose Jesus. And I'm never turning back. In Jesus' name, I am saved. I am forgiven. I am born again. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. I want you to click it, fill it out. I want to get something to you free of charge as a way of welcoming you to the family of God. I want to get some, uh, a Bible to you, some documents, some books and stuff. They're going to really help you in your adventure with Christ. In Jesus' name, you will endure to the end. Whether the devil likes it or not, you will endure to the end. For the rest of you that are watching right now, I feel a strong anointing on this broadcast. We're about to make a huge move for evangelism in this city this coming Saturday. And I challenge you right now to do something, to do something for the gospel, to make a financial sacrifice today for the gospel of Jesus and the people of Montreal hearing that gospel and receiving that gospel be a part of what God's doing on the earth today. D connect your finances with what Jesus is doing on the earth today. There's a lot, of, a lot of ministries that aren't winning the loss. This is not one of those ministries. We're doing the work of evangelism. And this is an opportunity for you to connect your finances with good soil. You know, if I take a good seed, doesn't matter how good of a seed it is, it could be the best seed in the world. If we sow it on concrete, it ain't going to yield anything. It has to go on good soil. This ministry is good soil. And Jesus said, if you give towards the advancement of my kingdom, it shall be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, falling over into your lap. I feel like now is the most op optimal time as a ministry that we've ever had, to sow into, the, into what we're doing. Because we're doing more. We're reaching more people than ever before. Don't store up treasure on earth. Store up treasure in heaven. Where moths and thieves can't destroy. Or, or moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. Do something of value. Ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me give? Many people have never asked that question. They give randomly or they give out of uh, religious motion. Don't do that. Ask the Lord, Lord, what represents my best? I want to put it in your hands. I want to I sow an honor seed. Because remember, everything we own belongs to him in the first place. Listen to this. I was reading this before and it, it's very powerful. Leviticus chapter 19. Actually, Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus. Yeah, Leviticus chapter 20, 23 and verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. When you reap the harvest of your land, leave the corners. Notice how God didn't say, a specific percentage of the corners. He didn't give an, an amount of, of square footage or acres that they should leave. He left it up to them. And there's an old preacher who's in heaven now. He used to say, 
that the amount that you leave on the corners determines how big your forest gets, how big your crops get, sorry, how big your harvest is. The, the more you leave on the corners of your current harvest, meaning the more you give to God, the more you're guaranteed that your, your harvest next year increases and multiplies so that even your corners get bigger. What's your corners? It's what you're willing to give, the Bible says, for the poor and for the stranger. When we go out on Saturday, and everything our ministry does is for the poor and for the stranger to Christ. The poor in spirit who don't know Christ, and the stranger, the ones who are estranged from Christ, who don't know Jesus. The Bible says you should set something aside. And what you set aside is totally up to you. You determine it. But I'll tell you something. What you set aside for the gospel determines how big your crops will be in your harvests. God starts to see you set apart more than, more than uh, the status quo. He starts to see someone who can be trusted with more. You sh you, don't you want, I want to be someone that God can trust with abundance. You want to know why most Christians don't get into abundance? God can't trust them with abundance. Because the first thing they have on their mind is a Lamborghini. They don't want to grow into abundance or get rich or prosper because they want to do something of value to the king, for the kingdom and actually write off crusades and all that. You, these crusades that we're doing, you think we just went to the city and said, hey, uh, we'd like to park for free? Or do you think we just go to the sound equipment stations and all that and we say, hey, we'd like to rent all that equipment for free? No, it costs money. It costs money to write up crusades. I believe there's people watching this that are businessmen, businesswomen, that God has blessed you with millions and he's moving on you to sow something significantly. Obey him. Heed his, his instruction. There's a, there's a couple that I love very dearly out in Toronto that own real estate. And they're very wealthy. And they sow significantly into this ministry. And you know what it's yielded for them? They don't have enough room to hold it all in anymore. Last time I spoke with him, he said, we have no time. We got so much real estate coming in. Oh, so much real estate opportunity, so many things, so much uh, money coming in so that we can purchase so many more buildings. You know, now that they're, they're, they're projecting a recession anymore. Uh, they're we're projecting a recession now in the land. They're projecting all kinds of stuff. Now's the time for Christian businessmen and Christian uh, millionaires to start buying up the land, buying up the real estate. And God will bless you with that as you prove yourself faithful. If you're faithful in the little, God said, I'll bring you into much. So if you'd like to give, you can do so. To, you can do so by going to salvationnow.ca slash give. You can give by PayPal. You can give by debit credit. You can do an e-transfer if you're in Canada. You can send mail to the address provided on the screen. Or you can... Um, That, that's pretty much it. You can send a check or cash to the address provided on the screen. You can go salvation.ca, debit credit, and all the information and, and instructions are on there. I'm going to do something today as a way of saying thank you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on my website after this broadcast right away. As a way of saying thank you, everyone that gives $100 or more I'm going to send you Tia Osborne's soul-winning book.
T.L. Osborne wrote a book on soul winning. He was one of the greatest soul winners the planet's ever had. And he wrote a book on soul winning, how to soul win, very practical keys, why we should soul win. And I'm going to send it to everyone that sows $100 or more as a way of saying thank you. As a way of saying thank you. Anyone that sows uh, $500 or more, I'm going to send you soul winning, the book. I'm going to send you healing the sick by T.L. Osborne. And I'm going to send you our very own t-shirt, um, the Salvation Hour original t-shirt that says save the lost at any cost on the back. It's a, it's a really neat t-shirt. A lot of people like it. And we actually just got a, a new a new uh, quality shirt for it. So we print the same stuff, but it's a new quality shirt. It's a better quality shirt in my opinion. And so I'm going to send that. I'm going to send Healing the Sick, Soul Winning, and our t-shirt. This one and our Dominion Lifestyle t-shirt. The whole package for anyone that sells $500 or more today. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to put a link on my giving page to claim the offer. So don't forget to claim the offer. Uh, because if you don't claim the offer, we can't get it to you. But I'm going to put that link on the giving page, like literally right after this broadcast. And so I want to challenge you. Um, so your best. Ask the Lord what he'd have you do. And as a way of saying thank you, if you do $100 or more or $500 or more, those, those two gifts that, are, uh, that I'm going to send you as a way of saying thank you for standing with us in the gospel. I love you so much. I really do. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.